And now introducing Mr. Keith Lanton. Good morning. Today is uh, Monday, April 3rd. Uh, first uh, trading day in the uh, second quarter of uh, 2023. Uh, we'll talk about the very event- eventful uh, first quarter of the year. Um, we'll also uh, review some of the uh, major events of the past uh, few weeks and what implications they may have in the uh, short term and the long term. Um, we'll uh, we'll talk about uh, the bank crisis and uh, we'll uh, we'll think about uh, investing and what took place in the first quarter and how that might think about how uh, we invest our portfolios and uh, who we interact with uh, to give us advice. Uh, we'll talk about some of the stories in Barron's, uh, which uh, certainly uh, had uh, lots of uh, insights into both the uh, banking crisis, uh, lots of talk about uh, crypto and uh, and specifically Bitcoin, as well as uh, some insights with respect to uh, individual stocks, dividend-paying stocks, um, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, TikTok and the potential uh, ban there and what that uh, what that might uh, mean for uh, Americans as well as uh, as well as Americans uh, who invest. Uh, Brad will be joining us uh, to discuss uh, the fixed income markets and what's taking place in uh, in bonds. And uh, we'll start by uh, just uh, thinking about recent events. Uh, markets uh, have had a uh, a whirlwind first quarter. Um, at the end of the quarter, we had a, a big paradigm shift as we got the first major uh, knock-on effect, I would argue, of uh, the Federal Reserve's uh, policy of raising interest rates from a quarter of a percent um, all the way up uh, to uh, just about five percent uh, as of uh, as of uh, the final weeks of uh, the first quarter. So. What was uh, it about the uh, rise in interest rates uh, that uh, caused the crisis and a banking crisis, uh, albeit, uh, albeit uh, when we had uh, all sorts of uh, buffers put in place, uh, not only in the uh, Great Depression, but then as recently as 2007, 2008, where uh, we had uh, Dodd-Frank put in place and Sarbanes-Oxley before that. Um, Glass Steagall did come down in uh, around uh, in you know in the uh, at the end of uh, the uh, 20th century. Um, so doing a uh, review of what took place and why it happened when we had uh, just recently uh, gone through so much turmoil, um, and I would argue uh, that the primary reason this uh, that this we had this crisis um, was because the rules were written for. Previous crises, the majority of the rules that the uh, banking system has been uh, set up uh, to run on, or the uh, the, the, the chassis um, was established in the 1930s during the uh, Great Depression. And what happened is uh, computerization has uh, changed many industries, um, and financial services is one of the industries that's changed uh, more slowly than many others. And in 2007, 2008, there were certainly effects from uh, technology and uh, the Ability to, uh, to 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 of change the technology brought, but it was not nearly uh, uh, to the extent uh, embedded in society as uh, as we see here in uh, the 2020s. So we had computers um, enabling things to be done faster, cheaper, and computers also do things more accurately. That's why I use computers because they're fast, 
They're really inexpensive, and they're really precise. And you think about what took place in the 1930s or even in uh, 2000 and two, 2007 and 2008 is uh, you didn't have um, the app technology. You barely had the iPhone, if you think about it, uh, to transfer money very quickly. So one thing that took place is the ability to rapidly transfer money um, in a very expeditious way, and that is the speed and the cheapness. It costs you virtually nothing um, to uh, to wire money, move money uh, very quickly. And the other big change we had is the proliferation of social media um, on, on our uh, on our apps and within our lives, and the speed that information uh, is transmitted. Um, so we had uh, this storm of uh, the ability to get information super fast, and we got uh, the ability to move money super fast. And if you go back to the 1930s, when the system was built, it was predominantly built for information to be transmitted uh, in person or via the phone. Um, if you wanted to get your money, you actually uh, had to go into the bank in most cases. Perhaps you wrote a check and it cleared in a week. Um, if you wanted to disseminate that information to multiple parties, um, best way to do that was to uh, was to actually uh, speak to them or call them up. And that was a big investment of your time. It wasn't like you could put up a social posting. Um, you had newspapers that uh, disseminated information, um, but they did it uh, in a very uh, careful, judicious way, and uh, it was typically uh, not with the same level of panic as uh, individuals may uh, create when uh, when they are uh, you know posting uh, online without a filter. At the same time, you have asymmetric risk, and what do I mean by that? You have uh, the risk that you, as a depositor in a bank have virtually no risk if you are to move your money very quickly. So if you have money that's uh, in a bank and you leave it there and the bank fails, you have a lot of risk. If you move it, um, there's, uh, there's virtually no cost to doing so, um, and all you have is benefit if the bank fails, so why not move it? So lots of asymmetric risk. So what do we think is going to happen as a result of uh, the lessons that we just learned here um, just in the last few weeks? Well, it's very likely we will get further banking reform in some way, shape, or form, whether it's through legislation or through uh, or through um, congressional action. And what does that mean? It means that we will have higher costs to insure deposits for a greater amount because uh, one of the big factors that uh, affected this crisis was that people had uh, deposits in excess of 250000 and can move them very quickly. And uh, what is this going to result in? Well, this means that uh, if you're going to insure deposits to a greater degree, that means that the government or taxpayers are going to be taking on more risks for the bank. So what do you need to do? Well, you need to limit the risk that the bank is going to fail. And in order to do that, you have to take uh, actions to tamp down the risks that the bank is taking. It means you have to charge greater premiums to protect against uh, failures uh, of other banks within the system. What that means is that banks will be less aggressive, will earn lower returns, will have higher costs, and it's very likely that those higher costs will get passed on to us as uh, depositors. Um, if you think about uh, where banks uh, may become less aggressive, there's been much written about this in the past week, just an article in the Wall Street Journal last week, um, is uh, one area that seems uh, that uh, it's fairly intuitive that banks are going to be cautious about is commercial real estate and uh, real estate having to do with uh, retail storefronts. Uh, these are areas that uh, were affected uh, by technology and by the pandemic, uh, the ability to work from home, the ability to shop online, uh, further exacerbating the risks of, uh, of uh, businesses that are engaged in, uh, in brick and mortar. 
whether it now be storefront, which was the original concern, and now um, office buildings and office space. Um, so you may see uh, some cracks uh, in the commercial mortgage market space uh, getting uh, accelerated as a result of uh, what's taken place um, in the banking sector. So as we wake up this morning, uh, we're waking up to headlines uh, having to do with uh, a surprise, and that surprise is that uh, OPEC has announced that they're going to be cutting their production by over 1.5 million uh, barrels uh, per day, um, something that uh, the Biden administration is not pleased with and that uh, was very unexpected. And again, it's, a, it's another lesson on the importance of diversification, uh, the importance of working with a financial professional, uh, the, the, the criticalness of, of having a plan in place and having the confidence in your plan so that when the unexpected happens, when the unanticipated happens, you are not uh, emotionally uh, drawn into suddenly feeling like you have to make a change or an adjustment. Uh, your plan has uh, factored in that there's going to be ups and downs in different uh, sectors of the investment portfolio of the economy and that you have built a plan that is built for the long term, going to stay the course um, and have the ability to ride out the ups and downs, whatever they are. If you are able to build that uh, that 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 plan um, and you're able to stress test it uh, with a professional or a friend, um, then you have the ability to stay the course and you have a lot greater chance of success. Now, if I were to tell you going into uh, 2023, the following events were going to happen, uh, how would you have positioned uh, your portfolio um, for these events uh, if you weren't uh, positioned for the long term and you were a trader? Um, if you were told uh, with certainty that by the end of the first quarter, the Fed is going to uh, continue to fight inflation, they're going to continue to raise uh, interest rates, and uh, at the end of the quarter, interest rates are going to hit 5%. In fact, during the quarter, the two-year Treasury is going to uh, hit 5.05%, giving lots of uh, uh, substitute power to investments other than uh, equities, uh, what used to be called TINA. There is no alternative uh, to equities. If I were to tell you that em employment was going to stay extremely strong, that the unemployment rate was going to still be at 3.6% at the end of the quarter, um, and that uh, and, and that uh, there was not a lot of uh, weakness in the job market. You might be concerned that rates were going to continue to move higher. If I was to tell you that uh, at the end of the first quarter, the war in Russia was going to be going uh, still uh, full force, uh, that the uh, leader of China was going to meet with the uh, president of Russia, and they were going to uh, discuss their friendship, and no uh, material changes to the battlefront were going to occur as a result of that meeting, despite some talks about peace, you might be concerned. If I were to tell you that there was going to be uh, continuing tensions uh, with China, that there was going to be a ratcheting of, uh, of, of uh, the uh, agreements uh, that we've been putting in place uh, internally here domestically, uh, to combat China, both from a uh, semiconductor manufacturing standpoint, uh, restricting uh, the Chinese from getting uh, certain technologies uh, from our allies, um, from the uh, potential uh, ban of, uh, of uh, TikTok uh, here in the United States. In fact, the CEO at the end of the quarter uh, went before Congress and uh, got a grilling. Um, if I were to tell you that the situation with Taiwan was going to uh, continue uh, to escalate, and uh, that uh, there was going to continue to be uh, pressure on the United States um, and China um, militarily um, with respect to uh, with respect to uh, Taiwan, and that that was not going to uh, let up. 
Of course, we just talked about another factor that uh, we couldn't have anticipated going into the quarter. I was going to tell you there was going to be a banking crisis, uh, which we just uh, discussed. Uh, we were going to see the biggest bank failure since 2008 in Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, Signature Bank uh, in New York was going to be taken over by regulators. We'll talk a little bit more about that with Barron talking about an interview with Barney Frank. Uh, First Republic Bank, a well-respected bank in uh, uh, in San Francisco, was going to be teetering on the verge of uh, of uh, non-existence. Um, many regional banks would be under a great deal of stress and uh, would potentially um, have uh, have uh, have their stocks drop 10, 20, or 30 percent. Um, there was going to be uh, lingering concerns uh, about the commercial mortgage market, which we talked about, and that this contagion was going to spread to Europe. And uh, venerable bank like uh, Credit Suisse would be uh, taken over over the weekend in a shotgun marriage uh, to uh, UBS Bank. And then the following week, we would have concerns about whether or not Deutsche Bank uh, was going to survive. Uh, all that information you had at your fingertips, um, how would you have invested your portfolio in the first quarter? Well, you might not have anticipated that technology would have led the advance uh, in the first quarter with the NASDAQ composite ending up March alone, 6.69%, um, and uh, finishing with its best quarter since 2020, gaining 16.77%. The broader large cap market was up 3.51% for the month and 7.03% for the quarter as measured by the S&P 500. So going forward, whether the expectation of lower interest rates, um, which is the uh, result of uh, some of the banking uh, concerns, are bullish or bearish, uh, depends on what the failure of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank uh, signify. Um, if these failures are analogous to the Bear Stearns collapse in 2008, Bank America strategist Michael Harnett says, well, look out for new lows. However, if they resemble the meltdown of the long-term Capital Credit Hedge Fund, which uh, fell in fall, the fall of 2019-98, expect new highs similar to those that followed the subsequent Fed easing and dot-com meltdown. Um, the expectation of lower rates are embodied right now in the negatively sloped yield curve, um, with shorter maturities now paying more than longer ones. This has historically portended recession. Um, nevertheless, uh, once again, we see uh, really strong markets, at least so far here in 2023. The good news is the spread between the two and the 10-year Treasury notes, while still very negative, 56 basis points uh, as of uh, this morning, um, that's a big improvement from where we were on March 8th when we were at negative 107 basis points. At the same time, we have the Federal Reserve uh, still owning $7.9 trillion of Treasury and agency mortgage securities, um, which is $1 trillion lower than it was one year ago. But nevertheless, the Fed's still holding almost $8 trillion of long-term mortgage-backed and Treasury securities. Some would argue that that is one of the reasons we're seeing a negative yield curve, because the Treasury is, uh, or the Fed is owning those securities, and they tend to have longer interest rates. So uh, the soaking up of those excess securities, some would argue, is one of the reasons that longer-term rates are higher than short-term rates. Um, one of the reasons, perhaps, some would argue that those uh, long-term rates still being fairly low uh, is one of the reasons that, uh, that we still are seeing inflation uh, linger for longer, and perhaps one of the reasons that the Fed may have to uh, continue to raise interest rates, and uh, that uh, will be uh, the uh, or, or one of the key uh, 
events that will uh, impact uh, at least the second quarter of uh, 2023, if not uh, the rest of this year. So what do we got going on this morning? I talked about the big surprise that uh, we woke up to this morning, and that is uh, the OPEC oil uh, surprise uh, cut in uh, in uh, in their uh, production. Uh, this has uh, oil this morning uh, flirting with uh, eighty dollars uh, per barrel, up about six uh, percent to four and a half dollars uh, per uh, per barrel for uh, Brent crude. Uh, Dow futures are up 108, largely on the uh, strength of uh, some of the uh, oil stocks, uh, but S&P futures down 7. Uh, NASDAQ futures are down 115. Um, what were uh, the thought processes behind this uh, cut in, uh, in, in oil production um, from OPEC? Uh, many are suggesting that uh, Saudi Arabia, which uh, used to uh, be a, a close ally of the United States and has moved closer to uh, to Russia and to China, is uh, one of the main reasons uh, that we're seeing this reduction, and it possibly couldn't have gotten done without their uh, strong guidance. Uh, this production cut um, is being done with a $500,000 uh, cut in uh, Russian oil production. Perhaps uh, they weren't able to produce that anyway. Um, but other producers uh, are cutting as well. Saudi Arabia and key allies of the United States, Kuwait and the UAE, said they would remove more than one million do- barrels uh, combined per day from the uh, global oil markets. Uh, put it all together, you're looking at about 1.6 million less barrels. Um, one of the reasons that Saudi Arabia is uh, is allegedly uh, uh, supporting this is that uh, reports are that Saudi Arabia was quote unquote irritated with the Biden administration after the Biden administration uh, ruled out new purchases of oil to refill the uh, strategic petroleum uh, reserve. Um, the U.S. right now is also uh, pursuing policies uh, that make it difficult for Venezuela and Iran to uh, have their oil reach uh, the uh, the markets uh, also putting pressure on uh, oil prices and giving increased leverage uh, to OPEC. Um, also reports that uh, many OPEC uh, uh, delegates and countries uh, have found fault with Western nations' windfall taxes on energy companies, which they claim received no consistent support uh, when uh, when West Texas Intermediate Futures traded in negative territory in April of 2020. And they didn't receive any assistance uh, when the world was uh, going gaga that uh, oil would no longer exist, uh, that we would be uh, having uh, renewable energy providing uh, the majority of our uh, resources. Um, and uh, they view this uh, asymmetric uh, behavior of the West uh, as something that they uh, find uh, very distasteful. And perhaps uh, some of this is uh, behind uh, this, uh, this move here this morning. Um, this will certainly make the Fed's job more challenging um, as they now have to navigate uh, the potential for higher oil prices, um, which uh, which is inflationary. Um, at the same time, higher oil prices uh, over time will uh, will lead to a natural slowing as well as consumers have less money to spend on uh, on other uh, items. So uh, more more to more to come in future meetings uh, on uh, on this uh, movement here by OPEC this morning. Um, the bond market uh, having a, a fairly muted response. Uh, we are seeing now uh, on the short end of the curve, though, uh, more. I'm seeing now more uh, more movement to the upside. Um, so we're seeing uh, starting at the six month uh, out, out to about three years, about a five basis point increase in yields. Six months around a 490, the one year around a 470. 
Uh, the two-year is up to about a 412 uh, this morning, uh, seeing less uh, yield pressure as we go out on the curve. The 10-year is up about two basis points to a 351, and the 30-year is actually unchanged uh, right now at 368. Uh, Brad may give us some more insights uh, of uh, what uh, what he's seeing uh, as well this morning. Other news this morning, China's uh, Manufacturing PMI was down to 50 from 51.6 last month. It was expected to come in at 51.7. This comes ahead of the March ISM index here, which is being released in the United States at 10 a.m. We're looking for this number uh, to come in at 47.5. In uh, corporate news, Tesla this morning is down about 7 points, a little over 3%. They reported their first quarter production of vehicles and their vehicle deliveries um, markets uh, viewing that uh, slightly negatively. Uh, McDonald's this morning up uh, about 1%, announcing that they're temporarily closing their U.S. offices um, ahead of corporate layoff announcements. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. Uh, UBS down about 5% this morning, saying they will eliminate 20 to 30% of the workforce after the Credit Suisse deal gets uh, completed. That's according to Bloomberg. WWE World Wrestling, Wrestling uh, Federation, uh, they had their uh, uh, WrestleMania event last night, and uh, they announced that uh, Endeavor Group, which uh, which is the uh, owner of the UFC, and the WWE will uh, will join to form a $21 billion-plus global live sports and entertainment company. Uh, Chevron this morning is up about uh, 5% on that news uh, that there will be a reduction in uh, the oil uh, supply. Overseas, Asian markets uh, mostly higher. Uh, European markets uh, are also edging to the upside. Uh, what do we have going on this week? Um, tomorrow, I mentioned already today about the manufacturing PMI here in the U.S. at 10. Tomorrow, Walmart convenes a two-day investor meeting. Also, we get the Bureau of Labor Statistics releasing the JOLTS, the Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey. That's expected to show 10.45 million job openings. On the last business day of February, that would be down from $12 million, uh, about a year ago. Wednesday, ADP releases its national employment report for March. Consensus estimate is for the economy to add 200,000 private sector jobs, about 42,000 less than last month. Um, also Wednesday, FedEx holds an investor meeting in New York to discuss its uh, cost-cutting plan, expected to cut costs by about $4 billion by 2025. Um, on Wednesday, the ISM is releasing its services PMI for March. Looking for that to come in slightly lower than uh, February. Today, we get the uh, manufacturing side. Um, and then Friday, uh, financial markets uh, or equity markets, I should say, are closed in observance of Good Friday. Uh, fixed income markets are open but close at noon. Um, and on Friday, uh, despite it being Good Friday, the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics is releasing the jobs report for March. Expectations are for non-farm payrolls to increase by 200,000. That's 111,000 fewer than February. Unemployment rate seen unchanged at 3.6%, near a historic low. Um, keep in mind that job growth has exceeded expectations for 11 straight months, the longest streak since 1998. Moving on to uh, Barron's. Uh, Barron's uh, uh, ran a cover story talking about uh, the potential uh, ban of uh, TikTok and what uh, that may mean uh, for uh, for other companies that uh, compete with TikTok. Uh, the overall summary is that the potential beneficiaries of a ban of TikTok would be uh, Meta, uh, Snap, 
potentially, uh, Twitter potentially, Google through their YouTube potentially. Uh, but the general thesis is that uh, none of these companies uh, are, uh, are are identical to TikTok. Uh, TikTok has its own unique uh, ecosystem. Uh, so uh, the potential uh, uh, knock-on effects of a uh, of a TikTok ban are hard to uh, hard to anticipate. One of the uh, factors that uh, is uh, part of the story of uh, of potentially banning TikTok is what that would mean for Generation Z, who is the biggest user of TikTok. Uh, they uh, they you they represent about forty six percent of uh, TikTok users. And uh, many of them uh, would uh, view a TikTok ban unfavorably, and this is an interesting dynamic in how it uh, it uh, plays into uh, the uh, politics of the 2024 election. Uh, some are suggesting that the Biden administration uh, may slow walk a ban of TikTok because this Generation Z uh, is a a big voting block, um, and uh, about 26 percent of this Generation Z gets uh, their news regularly on TikTok. That's up from 9% in 2020. And many say that President Joe Biden uh, may not be president of the United States uh, without TikTok and Generation Z. Uh, President Biden won 63% of voters aged 18 to 24 um, in uh, in the presidential election in 2020. So here you have a, a situation um, where uh, the U.S. is uh, potentially seeking a ban of this uh, service. At the same time, banning the service uh, would make it difficult or more challenging for the current administration to get reelected. I personally also find it interesting that uh, you know that uh, we here in the United States uh, view a TikTok ban as uh, something that uh, is unique, and I'm not advocating for or against it. Um, but when you think about uh, the Chinese, they currently ban uh, or have the Great Firewall up, uh, so making uh, services like uh, like uh, Facebook or Instagram. Um, or uh, or, or uh, Google's uh, services, uh, Google Drive, Google Mail, um, all inaccessible um, within China. So we view this here in the United States as uh, as something unique, but uh, from the perspective of uh, perhaps the folks in China, um, this is something that uh, that they have been doing to the United States um, for a uh, for a long time to uh, to U.S. Uh, companies here. Um, it's also possible that TikTok won't be the last Chinese firm uh, targeted, Barron says. Um, they uh, say that uh, companies like Baba and Baidu may be the next in the uh, crosshairs of, uh, of, of U.S. Uh, regulation. Uh, they have cloud businesses here in the U.S. that could potentially uh, place them in the crossfire as well. Finally, I'll uh, share an idea with uh, with you from Barron's uh, for those who think that uh, perhaps the uh, economy is slowing. Um, one income idea, Barron's, uh, suggests uh, considering if you uh, buy into that thesis is utility stocks, and they've had disappointed so far in 2023, losing 5% on average compared to a roughly 7% gain for the S&P 500. Although that's frustrating for shareholders, there may be a silver lining. Uh, more attractive valuations and higher yields for investors looking for defensive plays if the economy deteriorates. Uh, utility stocks aren't uh, dirt cheap, even with the recent underperformance. The uh, utility index fetches about 18 times this year's estimates, which is below its five-year average of 19.2, but in line with the market average. Uh, however, utilities do yield on average about 3.3%. Uh, that's nearly double the S&P 500's uh, dividend yield of 1.7%. 
But investors can pick up more income and cash proxies like money market funds, six-month T-bills, which are near 5%, or two-year treasuries near 410 um, but utilities uh, should benefit from a smoother interest rate climate once the Fed stops raising rates, uh, which is a possibility in the next several months. Utilities may also offer more capital appreciation than bonds if the economy weakens and investors shift to defensive stocks. Moreover, utilities offer dividend growth, while bonds pay fixed income based on their coupon rates. A couple of utilities mentioned in this article um, are Duke Energy, which yields 4.2%. Uh, Southern Company SO yielding 3.9%, and Dominion Energy, symbol D, at 4.8%. Analysts in this article is quoted as saying that utilities have strong tailwinds, such as a growing emphasis on clean energy. They are also investing capital to upgrade their portions of the grid for transmitting and distributing power for things like electric vehicles, allowing them to charge higher rates to recoup capital investments. Uh, they are well positioned to sustain consistent earnings and dividend growth, he says, adding that he expects annual dividend increases of 5% across the U.S. electric utilities spectrum. With that, I'll finish it off and uh, turn things over to uh, Brad to give us some more thoughts and insights. Good morning, Brad. morning, Keith. Good morning, everyone. Hope everyone had a great weekend. Uh, to say that this has been one of the most nervous and volatile markets I've seen in my 30-plus year career would be a tremendous understatement. I wrote something up uh, for this morning yesterday, and I think about it all night. I was looking forward to a calm start to the week, and then I see a headline come across that OPEC cuts production, oil's up over 5%, and it puts a whole new wrench in the market. Uh, not as dramatic moves as I would have thought from news like that, but still, it's, uh, it's never-ending. Uh, Approximately six months ago, in mid-September, the 10-year Treasury was trading around 3.5% yield. That's exactly where we are now. I've seen that happen before, but I've never seen the two-year spike from just over 3% to over 5% and back down to 4% in the same time. History will show that the Fed was brilliant or had absolutely no clue what they were doing. I think that ultimately, it'll be a little of both. My opinion is that the Fed should have been concerned about such a severely inverted yield curve, and we discuss that here every week. Something was going to have to give, and it sure did. Uh, with rates still yielding reasonable returns, fixed income should certainly have an allocation to your portfolios. A few weeks ago, I liked the idea of a barbell portfolio for those heavily weighted in fixed income. In a taxable account, I like treasuries government agencies, CDs, or corporates for the shorter duration bonds, and for the longer duration, say 20 years or so, I still like municipals in that range, uh, give or take, uh, at around 4% yield. I think that's nice to lock in that 4% uh, tax-free yield because uh, we've only seen it a few times over the past, past bunch of years, and who knows where the Fed's going to have to go from here with everything that's been happening. In a time of continued uncertainty, uh, you, you also continue to get a nice rate of return on the shorter bonds, uh, also in that 4-plus per percent uh, range for high grade, uh, but not tax-free, but certainly with liquidity. I'm cautiously, I'm cautiously optimistic for fixed income at these levels. Uh, municipals had not run with the Treasury market last week, so I think munis uh, have got cheap again and have some room to, to move here. Uh, there are a couple of things sneaking up on us uh, soon enough, though. The political circus of the debt limit. With the amount of money we have seen moving out of banks and in treasury bills, CDs, and other government direct or assumed backed product, uh, 
a panic will occur if, if the government does not give the response that we hope to hear. Obviously, the government will ultimately pay. Uh, but if it does create a, a short-term panic, as we are all panicking, we will also be looking for any potential opportunities with a level head. The other thing to watch as the year goes on are any side effects if we really do head into a recession. Corporate and municipal bonds will get hit. Treasury and government agency bonds will rally. So I have no issue with also looking at treasuries and agencies in that 10-year range. I, I'll be back on that as we see how things develop over the next few weeks. I'll, I'll, uh, with that, I'll give it back to Keith. Thank you. Thanks, Brad. And uh, just uh, circling all the way back uh, to where uh, one of the topics that I started the call is, how would you invest? have invested um, if you knew all that was going to take place in the uh, first quarter? And Brad brought uh, up a uh, one of the uh, events that's uh, been on the calendar for uh, some time, and that's uh, the possibility that uh, that we don't get a budget deal in Washington and extend the debt limit. I uh, hadn't even had that on my list uh, as an unresolved item at the end of the first quarter. Um, yet we had this uh, tremendous performance in the first quarter. And finally, I'll, I'll give you one uh, extreme example of, uh, of, of information and uh, an event uh, that uh, at least uh, I think uh, virtually no one would have gotten right, um, but who knows. Um, and that's, uh, that's the performance of Bitcoin in the first quarter of 2023. Um, if we knew going into the quarter that the SEC was going to put its uh, crosshairs and its sights directly onto uh, Bitcoin, perhaps uh, requiring it to be a security, uh, filing a Wells notice against Coinbase, uh, pressing charges against uh, Binance, um, the uh, meltdown of uh, SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried, and, uh, and his firm. Um, and uh, someone were to ask you your prediction on uh, how Bitcoin would do in that environment. How would it, uh, how would it uh, be as an investment uh, over the following three months? And uh, if you had guessed up 70%, um, you would be the, uh, the winner of, uh, of that uh, quiz. Uh, so another example of, uh, of, of just how uh, difficult and challenging and uh, virtually impossible it is, even if you've got all the information and you have the insider view, uh, to, uh, to be able to predict, at least in the short term, uh, what's going to happen. That's everything I've got. Thank you for listening to Mr. Keith Lantern. This podcast is available on most platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Pandora. For more information, please visit our website at www.heraldlantern.com. Opinions expressed herein are subject to change and not necessarily the opinion of the firm. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The information presented herein is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide personal investment advice. It is important that you consider your tolerance for risk and investment goals when making investment decisions. Investing in securities does involve risk and the potential of losing money. The material does not constitute research, investment advice, or trade recommendations.